especially when we think about being selfless toward one another. In our series up to this point, very first lesson we talked about as a reminder, it's not about us. The big point that the Apostle Paul makes in the book of 1 Corinthians is for these Christians to understand it's not about me, it's not about you, it's all about Christ. And the various teachings that he gives with each problem that is addressed gives a solution for transforming our selfish thinking into selfless thinking. Those first four chapters we saw that Paul kept saying, you need to just regard us as servants. We're all just servants here. We're nothing more than that. Uh, God ordered the world so that none may boast and to see ourselves in that proper light. Chapters 5 through 7, a reminder then about how our bodies belong to God. We were bought with a price. We don't get to do what we want to do. God owns us in that way, and therefore we will be selfless when we realize that God is the one who possesses our body. And last week when we were in chapters 8 through 10, uh, we looked then at forfeiting our rights. We lay those rights aside. It doesn't matter what right we're talking about, even human rights. We lay them down to love one another and to show the glory of God. And so important pictures that the Apostle Paul has been writing. And then our, finally for us this morning, we're going to talk about selfless gifts, how to use the various things that God has given us in a way that glorifies him and that we are not thinking about ourselves. And you think of chapters 12 through 14, you might recognize that section of 1 Corinthians as a section about spiritual gifts. And you might just kind of see that section and go, well, except for chapter 13, we'll just kind of move right along as it's just all about all of the problems that go on with the various miraculous spiritual gifts that you see these Christians possessing. In particular, it seems that they are having divisions about their various gifts. You see a description of that like in verse 8 of, uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where notice he says that to one there's given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another of faith, Gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish the spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Verses 8 through 10, he just kind of starts listing a number of different gifts that this church possesses. And in the process of that, it gives us the implication that they are having divisions and arguments about what each are able to do and the abilities that they have. Because you'll notice in verses six, 4 through 6, he describes here in a very unique way how they're supposed to look at what they are doing. Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Notice this isn't a teaching about gifts themselves where he doesn't say, now there's a variety of gifts given by God. Notice there's this, this contrast. There's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, but the same Lord. But it's the same God. Yes, we have all of these activities, 
All of these varieties of gifts and things like that, different acts of service, but it all comes from God. The unifying factor is to realize it's all about God. God is the reason why they had all these gifts, these various acts of service, and these various activities that they're performing, which fits the, the, the whole picture of what 1 Corinthians has set up as the reason God runs the world and how he does it is that so no one would boast in the sight of God. No one's supposed to be able to step back and go, look at what I'm able to do for God. And that's what these first four verses are really getting at. First six verses is describing you have these gifts, you have these acts of service, you have these various activities that are being done, but it's all because of God. And what he's going to do in chapter 12 is help us understand two very important reasons why there are all of these gifts, why there's all these various activities, why all these things exist. And you'll notice he begins that in verse seven when he just says to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I like for you just to highlight the common good. The reason for all of these things is not for me, but for everybody else. The common good. The reason for all of the distinctions and all of the differences and all the different gifts and all of the different acts of service and all the various activities is not for self, but for the common good. It's for everyone else. And that's why the rest of this little section that he goes through these next through these sentences are descriptions about the interconnected nature of the people of God. They, they are being described in such a way so that they would see that they are joined together. Notice in verse 12. So with yourselves who are so eager for the manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. I am in the wrong chapter. Flip the page one too far. Chapter 12, verse 12, not 14, 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. Just as in the body is one and many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. This image is really important that we are so joined together in this body. In fact, he describes it like this. He says, verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Just think about that idea for a minute. So when you came to Christ and you submitted your life to him and you were baptized, you're forgiven of your sins. He says, immediately you were put into this interconnected body. You're immediately put together into this imagery of all of us being body parts or body members, all being joined together. That's the way God wanted it to be. The image is being put forward by the Apostle Paul in this way so that we would understand there's no such picture in Scripture as disconnected Christians. And I think that's a very important picture. You don't see the Apostle Paul describing any church or any group of Christians as a bunch of individuals who are disconnected from one another 
who on occasion come together in worship. He describes them that they would be so joined together, so tightly knit, that he gives a picture here and says, it's like you're a body. He even used that. We'll come back to some of those pictures where he's talking about hands and feet and eyes and ears. He's like, that is how we are supposed to visualize what we are together. That the imagery is that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves, but that we need one another. We need one another because there are a variety of gifts and acts of service and activities. And none of us can do all of them. None of us are so self-sufficient that we go, oh, I, can, I got all of that taken care of. I can be independent Christian, completely disconnected from everybody else, and I will be fine. In fact, I want you to notice it's quite the opposite when he says there down in verse 24 of, of, uh, of, of chapter 12 that God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there be no division in the body and that the members have the same care for one another. I want you to think about what he just said right there. Here he is in the middle of talking about, like in verses 22 and 23, body parts that have greater honor and less honor. Interesting imagery. Trying to signify everybody has different parts, different roles, Different abilities in this section, different activities, things like that. Notice what he says at the middle of verse 24. God made the body that way. Ever thought about that? God made it so that we would have to depend upon each other. He composed the body in such a way giving greater honor to the part that lacks. So here's all these different abilities and different gifts and different activities. Everybody's got all these different things. And God did it that way, notice, so that there wouldn't be division. Now, isn't that ironic? Because you'd read that and think that's the reason for the division. We're all different. We all do different things. We all have different gifts, all have different activities, all have different things we do. And God goes, no, the reason I made it so that you all do different things and possess different abilities and different gifts and different acts of service is so that nobody would stand back and think that they are completely independent and can be an island to themselves, but that they would recognize that they need one another because you can't do it all and you're not self-sufficient. And so the imagery is powerful because it's giving the picture that the reason we come together is to use those different abilities and gifts and acts of service toward one another. And he says, that's why I made the body that way. That we would see that we need one another. And that's why he uses the imagery of the hands and the feet and things like that. How self-sufficient is an ear. Where's the ear going to go? And how is the ear going to eat? And how is it going to take a trip? Or even see where it's going? They say, okay, well, then be a mouth. Okay, how's the mouth know where it's going? The whole point of the imagery of the different body parts is to see there's not one that stands by itself. 
If it's by itself, it's useless. How good is your hand if it's not attached to your body? Pretty useless. Not going to be helpful. Or your eye or your ear or your mouth. The whole imagery here is that God made it this way so that we would see that we are incomplete without each other. We are incomplete without each other. Now that's countercultural because we're all told we can do it all ourselves. We don't need anybody, we're just fine. And I want you to see God says, this isn't by accident that I made it this way. It's not by accident that you can't do everything. It's not by accident that everybody in the room can do something different and has different acts of service and different activities and different gifts and different things. They do. That's not by accident. God made it that way so that we would see our need to come together. I think one of the things that has been sad over the past 15 months has been the the implied communication, and I've even heard it directly communicated. We don't need each other. We can all just stay home and do our own thing. And Paul's saying, no, you can't. You need everybody else. You cannot be sufficient on your own. And God intended it to be that way, that we would seek out others so that we could come together and be able to grow together, work together, and use the various abilities, activities, acts of service, and gifts in such a way so that we would be able to build one another up. God made it so that we would be dependent. And it's unfortunate that we may have communicated otherwise. That sometimes what's communicated is that all that's happening here is a Lord's Supper, a prayer, and a sermon, and some songs. If that's all that's happening here, then you can stay home. If that's all this is about. It's not. A very important factor the Apostle Paul is giving is that what's happening is that each of us are using our gifts and using our abilities in such a way so that we are coming together and accentuating our differences so that we can be what God wants us to be in building one another up. To such a degree, by the way, that notice the picture that's given in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer. That is so true of the physical body. If you have a hammer and you miss the nail and you hit your finger, it's not your finger that's the only thing that's sorry. Your whole body's sorry. Everybody's sorry in your body about that mistake. Are we that interconnected? See, that's the imagery he's using. When one suffers, everyone suffers. That's how joined together they are. If one hurts, everybody's hurting. And see, this is the problem with our American Christianity is we've just made ourselves so independent. We've just made ourselves that we live our completely separate lives. And we are not connected whatsoever. And then we'll dump an hour in together and think somehow we're going to be connected like that picture. We can't. 
There's 168 hours in the week, and you're going to say, by with one of those hours, we're going to have that kind of connection? Can you imagine your hand being on your body for only one hour a week? That's the imagery that he's using. In fact, he does it again at the end of verse 26. If one member is honored, all rejoice. And he carries the picture into verse 27. Here we are as individual body part members. But you are the body of Christ. Here we are all joined together, forming perfectly with all of our different parts, whether you're a foot or a hand or an eye or a nose or whatever you are. All of us coming together for a complete functional body. That's what sets up the context of chapter 13 is this idea of we need one another. And before this chapter was ever used for weddings and romantic notes and things like that, this chapter was written about how we interact with each other in the body of Christ. That's why that's here. After talking about their need to be interconnected and so joined together, He then describes love in a very important way because it's talking about how we consider one another. Verse four, that we are patient with each other. That there's long suffering here. And that's why I said what I said at the beginning of the lesson, like I'm thrilled with the long suffering (laughs) of this group. Love is kind. That's the consideration we have to each other. Everybody's kind. Doesn't envy or boast. Is not arrogant or rude. Doesn't insist on its own way. Is not irritable or keep a record of wrongs. Doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Rejoices if the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The Apostle Paul is writing that to the group of Christians and saying, this is how you are not divided together and how you use your gifts together is seeing each other in that light. That that we'd have that kind of patience and kindness, that kind of lack of envy or boasting, that, that we'd be seeking those things out. And in fact, you'll notice that at the end of verse 13, he says, you want to know what the greatest gift is? Love. The greatest gift of all of your gifts and abilities and anything that God may have ever given you is love. And here's the good news about that. I know every one of you possess that capability. And that's supposed to be used in this harmonizing of the body. As we use our different abilities and use our different gifts and do these acts of service and all of these different things for the common good, for the building up of the body. In fact, he describes there chapter 14, verse one. I don't know if that's a good chapter break or not, because after saying the greatest of these is love, the next sentence is pursue love. Pursue love. If you're chasing something, that's what I want you to chase. I want you to chase love. That is the most important thing. And I want you to think about in the characteristics that are given here, these descriptions about love. Think about how selfish thinking is ultimately not love. 
Why is the reason, verse 4 of chapter 13, why would be the reason I'm not patient? Who am I thinking about when I'm not patient? Me. And who am I thinking about when I'm not kind? Me. And who am I thinking about when I envy? Me. Who do I think about when I'm arrogant or boastful? Me. Who do I think about when I'm rude? Me. Who am I thinking about when I insist on my own way? Me. Who am I thinking about when I'm irritable? Me. Who am I thinking about when I keep a record of wrongs? Me. All of these characteristics are pushing these Christians to go away from selfish thinking to selfless thinking. By helping them understand, pursue love because everything about love means not thinking about self. And when I'm not practicing love, that means that's exactly what I'm doing is I'm thinking about myself. If I'm not exemplifying these characteristics to you, and if we're not exemplifying these characteristics to one another, it means one thing. We're thinking about ourselves. We're just thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about everybody else. And that's why they have the divisions and that's why they're fighting and that's why they're arguing over all of these things is because they're being selfish in their thinking. And that's what he pushes them into now of why this is important in chapter 14. Chapter 14 is also just as important because what chapter 14 then describes is Really what you are doing with your gifts and your activity and your love and your service. What is the big idea about all of this and why do we need each other? I want you to notice in chapter 14 and verse 12. See, I, I read that, but I was one like way ahead. <laughs> chapter 14, verse 12. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel In building up the church. There's a great picture. Of what all of this is about right now. The whole point. Of us coming together. He says alright you've all got your different gifts and abilities and things like that. And God's given you the greatest gift. Greatest gift of love that you need to be pursuing and practicing. And then he comes along and says, here is this overarching goal for our gatherings. I want you to strive to excel in building up the church. I want you to focus on that. Notice the picture continues in verses 14 through 17 as well, because he starts talking about all of the different gifts that they're focusing on and how they're finding this to be so important. And notice as he describes all of their gifts and how they are working and how they're doing it poorly, verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. You can imagine here they are, they're making such a big deal about speaking in tongues. And he goes, you might be saying stuff that's giving thanks like crazy to God. But nobody in the room is being built up. So quit it. Such an important picture that's given here. 
is that the purpose of what we are doing is in a way so that everyone is built up and encouraged. He says it again in verse 26. So some of you come together. One's got a hymn, one's got a lesson, one's got a revelation, one's got a tongue, one's got interpretation. Everybody's using their gifts. Everybody's got these various activities. But notice what he says about that at the end of verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. That's the whole point. The whole point of everything we're doing is to encourage, to build up. He says it again in verse 31. He says, you can all prophesy one by one, okay, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Do you see him just keep saying the same thing in this chapter? (laughs) How many different ways can you say, we come together and we use our abilities and use our acts of service and we use our activities, we use our gifts and we throw them all together so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. That's what it's all about. That's what's supposed to be happening. This will be my defense as to that's why there's not coffee back there. That's why there's not pyrotechnics going off behind me. That's why we're not having all kinds of things going on because the goal is learning and building up. That's why we come together. That's what the whole chapter is spending its time on. You have your abilities and the point is not just, hey, let's just all have a good time. It's all great. We got to grow, build each other up, use what we have to encourage one another. In fact, so much would that be the case. I love verses 24 and 25 where he says that will be happening to such a degree that outsiders will come in and they'll be so convicted by what's happening that they will bow down and worship God. That's what the room is supposed to look like. Is that there is such a focus on God, such a focus on who he is, on what he's done. And we are learning that and sharing that and growing in that and building each other up in that. So that when other people come in, they're going to go, I'm learning about God. God's being glorified. So everything we do has to be gospel saturated. Everything that we do, everything that we say has to be gospel saturated because we are trying to cause people to learn, to be encouraged and to grow. That's why we're here. Now, here's the trick to all of this. Who's the church? If you're not doing this, it can't happen. We sometimes visualize the church as something outside of ourselves, right? It's over there somewhere. And the church is doing this and the church is doing that and the church is... Who's the church? You If you're not coming and you're not bringing your gifts and your acts of service and your activities and what you can do, how's it going to get done? It's not something over here that should be doing all of this stuff. You're it. 
You're the one. It's relying on you. You and I are the ones who are the church. God wants us to look around and see that he gave us these gifts and activities of service and things like that so that we would give ourselves to each other. Probably the most selfish thing that we could ever do is come here and look for what everybody is going to do for us. That's the very essence of what Paul's fighting against. He's saying, no, you have something to give. You have something to contribute. What happens in this room is not supposed to terminate on ourselves. You go, well, I got something out of that. And that's not the point. What have you infused and given into others today? How have you used your gift and your ability for the building up of the others that are here? That's what the Apostle Paul is writing about. And I hope that we would see the seriousness of it because if you, and I mean not you, I mean you, if you don't use your gift, there's no church here. It doesn't exist. It can't. We just all sit here and look at each other. Well, who's going to do something? (laughs) I don't know. Who's going to do something? Well, somebody do something. Our whole visualization about what we do when we gather should be. There's something that I can contribute as I attempt to pursue love encouragement, building up. You have a gift that needs to be used. Now I know that I'm going to, I'm going to take your disclaimer that just went in your head right now. I'm going to, I'm going to take it away from you right now. Cause Paul did go back to chapter 12, verse 15, <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. I know what you already just said when I said, we need you and your gift. You, I don't have any gift. I don't have any ability. I have nothing. And Paul just said, stop it. Yes, you do. God made the body in such a way so that everybody with whatever they have, needs to come together and fuse it so that we are mutually encouraged, built up and growing so that we are learning and that we are glorifying God in the process. And he says, there's no member of the body that should step back and say, because I can't do what another part of the body does, therefore I have no function whatsoever. I have no use whatsoever and there's nothing I can do. And to make sure that we understood that, verse 16, he said it again. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And that's why he starts talking about the more presentable, less presentable parts. I don't care if you think you're the most hidden part on the body whatsoever that nobody would ever know. You're the appendix and nobody knows what it does. Okay, that's that's you. We have no idea, but there it is. You're the tonsils and nobody knows or anybody sees that. You're just as important. You're just as necessary. We need it. And no one should look at themselves and go, well, because I'm only an appendix, then nobody knows why I'm here. I have nothing to offer. You do. 
And if you don't, then there's no church here. Because you're the church. You're it. And I think one of the hardest things that I have struggled with over the past 15 months is if you think about where we were as a congregation at the end of 2019 and the amount of energy and work and push that we had, we were having to beg people to sit on each other's laps because there was so little room in here. We had to blow a wall out to make enough space. And it feels like we're having to start all over again. Are you up to the task of starting over and pushing on? You're the church. You'll be the reason if we do. You'll be the reason if we fill this thing back up again and keep on going. You have an important gift. You have an important work. You have an important activity. And you may not think it's important, but it's critically important. Do not sell yourself short in the work that needs to be done. Perhaps the most selfish thinking we could come up with is if we think we just don't need each other. If we look at this and just go, "Eh, I don't need you. And we show that. We show that in what we do. We show that in our activities. We show that in our coming together. We show that in how we spend our time together. Do we think we need each other or not? Do we think we have something to offer? God intentionally gave each of us some sort of ability so that we would come together and share it. So that we can do the work of building each other up. None of us have it all. None of us have the majority of it. Somebody's an ear. Somebody's an eye. Somebody's a foot. Somebody's a hand. And unless they're all joined together, working together, it doesn't do anything. They're just individual body parts laying there. We need each other. That's the big message that Paul is trying to get them to understand. Number one, we need each other. And number two, we need each other to be different. We need each other to be different. You need to do what you can do. And I need to do what I can do. And I don't need to do what you're already able to do. You do what you can do. I'll do what I can do. And if all of us will do what we can do, what God has empowered us to do, great things will happen. We will be the body that God wants us to be. That's the picture. But moving away from selfish thinking to selfless thinking says we need each other. Do we believe that? Would we be okay if we weren't around each other? Or do we need each other? Are we so connected together that when one hurts, everybody hurts? 
When one is honored, everyone rejoices. How connected are you? And what can you give to the work that needs to be done? We need your work. And let me end by saying this. Your work is not small. Your work's not small. I don't suppose anybody signs up for elective surgery and says, I don't know why I have that body part. Go ahead and take it off. I never use it. Eh, you know, I, I, I can pick up stuff with, with only three fingers and a thumb. Just go ahead and take the pinky off. Yeah, fine. Nobody does that. Do not undervalue what you can do in the work of the kingdom of God. And do not undervalue or underestimate how important you are to the work of this group in this city, in this county, as we try to reach souls all around and as we grow to build one another up in the faith. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us to be dependent on each other. It is indescribable, Lord, the gift that you have given us that we can be together. Lord, none of us would be together in this room if it wasn't for you. None of us would know each other. Thank you, Lord, for creating a body providing for us to have different roles, different gifts and different abilities so that we can excel in our various areas to glorify you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in those efforts, that everything we we do would be God glorifying and that everything we do would encourage and build each other up. Lord, let that always be at the forefront of our minds when we gather And Lord, I I know sometimes we feel like we have nothing to give. Feel like we have nothing to offer, nothing of value. So God, encourage our hearts and encourage our minds to know that you have given us something we can do. That all of us have a, a part and that all of us have an important part. Help us to see it. Help us to practice it. And help us to use what we have for your glory for your good. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have thought that we are self-sufficient. Lord, we live in a world that tells us that we don't need anybody. Lord, help us to see how much we need each other. Help us to build bonds with one another so that we can hurt with those who hurt, weep with those who weep, and rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to be that body that you want us to be, Lord. And help us to be selfless in our pursuits of one another, showing love and deference to each other as you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing invitation song in a minute. We do invite you to come to Jesus. And I hope that you'll see you have such an important part in this. We want you to see if you will come to Jesus this very morning, turn away from your sins, submit your life to him. You're immediately thrown into this body and you have something to contribute. We have a way to help you. You have a way to help us. That's the way God composed the body. And so all of us working together for God's glory and for the common good. We help you do that anyway this morning. Once you come now while we stand and while we sing.